It is good to be with you. You know, I forgot to share this. We were loving the drive up yesterday. We came over from Indianapolis and got off of 71, and I don't know if the phone just played evil tricks on us, but we were on some back roads, and it was beautiful. We saw Amish, and my wife said, I could live here. And then we came up on a roundabout. <laughs> and, and in Indianapolis, there's a suburb called Carmel that ha- is the roundabout capital of the world. <coughs> my wife hates roundabouts. And my question is, how do the Amish make it through the roundabouts? Um, I don't know. But uh, she was loving it until then. Jane and I celebrate uh, this year 35 years of marriage. We have three kids. All three of our kids and their spouses are serving in full-time ministry. Our son Jeremy and his wife Ritu serve, they, they served as missionaries in Africa and now serve at Treveca Nazarene University in Nashville, Tennessee, and on staff at Treveca Community Church. Uh, they have three kids, Zane, Ruby, and Kavya. We were very excited that they could go serve God wherever as long as they leave the grandkids with us. And uh, at that time, they only had one, but now they have three, and so they're serving there in Nashville. Our second child, Jenna, and her husband, Edson Solores, serve at Shepherd Community. Jenna was a teacher, now stays home with their two, Noah and Camilla. And uh, Noah started K4 at Shepherd. And so I was excited, and he likes to come in. After, he goes half a day, and he comes in to see me. And I'm not sure if he's excited to see me, but he is fascinated by the jug of water I have. And he loves getting water every day and getting a bag of chips from Papal. So I'll, I'll, I'll just say that he likes me. Um, and then our youngest, Jill, and her husband, Ryan, have four kids, Clayton, Peyton, Travis, and Maeve, and they serve in Newcastle, Indiana, on staff of the Nazarene Church. He's the youth pastor. She's a children's pastor. And so we're blessed. It ruined our, uh, that all three of them went into ministry, ruined our retirement. I was hoping one of them would make money, and I could live with them. But uh, we're blessed and love our grandchildren um, and, and love our time with them. So... I want to share with you today, if you want to, you can turn <coughs> in your Bibles to Luke 10. I need to explain to you, my wife wanted you to know that I turned 58 this year, and I have been blessed all of my life to be cursed with asthma. And so you will hear a common cough I have at this time of the year, and uh, my asthma decided to be flared at this time, and, and so um, I do not have COVID. Uh, you know, up until now, you know, I would be coughing up a lung, and my mom would say, you're going to school. Now, if you have the slightest cough, it's like, whoa, and it, it is, the only thing good now to have asthma is to fly Southwest Airlines. No one wants to sit in your row, um, and, and so... <coughs> Well, I want to, I'll get to the scripture. I want to take you 31 years ago. Everyone sitting behind us have no idea what that time period was, all the high school students. But that's back when dinosaurs walked the earth and all that. And um, we were in ministry in Cincinnati. 
And uh, I, I was working at a, min, a Nazarene ministry there in an area called Over the Rhine. And uh, in the morning, I had had a breakfast meeting, went home. I lived, at that time we had two kids. Um, and so went home and Jane was there and I got our, um, some stuff I needed. Went down Quebec to Western Hills Viaduct, turned right to go into work to Central Parkway. And there was a, it's three lanes in, and there was a city bus stop there. And there were four cars in front of me, and two went into the left lane. Two went into the right, and they kept going. I pulled up, and there laying in the middle of the street was a young boy. And that young boy had run in front of the bus, been struck, and, and had been thrown about 20 feet. He had skidded. His coat was bunched up. And so I run over to him, <coughs> And I pull his coat down. In his left leg, which is where he got hit, the bone is protruding. He's bleeding profusely, and uh, he is not breathing. There's blood trickling from his nose, his mouth, and his ear. I take my coat off. I lay it across him, and there is a pickup right behind me. Two ladies jump out, and one comes running towards me, and she says, we're emergency room nurses from Children's Hospital. Do what I say. I'm willing to listen. And the other nurse grabs this big first aid kit and comes over. So the one nurse begins working on his leg to try to stop the bleeding. The other one looks at me and she says, we have to start CPR. And so out of the first aid kit, they pick a, a bag uh, with a mask on it. And, and it's my job to make that as tight on that little boy's face and squeeze the bag. As the nurse would do the chest compressions, she would say, you gotta keep him going, you gotta keep him breathing, you gotta keep him alive, you gotta keep him going, you gotta keep him breathing, you gotta keep him alive. <clears throat> and it seems like forever, finally other personnel show up and I'm finally able to step back. I went over, prayed with the driver of the car that hit him, and, and then we were standing there and they're loading him up to take him in the ambulance. And the one nurse, these two nurses were on their way to work. They had over 40 years of experience in the ER at one of the best children's hospital in the world. And so uh, the one is getting into the ambulance. She's gonna keep working on him on the way. The other one's going to their truck. And I said, ma'am, is he gonna make it? And she said, I don't know. Picked up my coat, got in the car, drove the rest of the way. I walked into the ministry. I'm crying, trying to explain what happened. I went in and I washed up and went into my office and I called Jane. And I'm trying to tell her, I'm weeping. And, and then I became angry because there were four cars in front of me that drove around a little boy dying in the street and kept going. And I couldn't understand it. How could you literally see and drive around and keep going? But they did. It was the week of Thanksgiving in 1992, and <clears throat> Jane and I would go visit him in the hospital, and on Thanksgiving, we took a meal. His mother would not leave his side. 
Curtis will spend weeks in the hospital, but he will survive. The only long-term problem he had was with his leg. But I was angry. How could you drive by a little boy dying in the middle of the street? On Sunday of that week, in my morning devotions before church, God said to me, Jay, you do the same thing. Now, I don't know if you're dumb like I am, but I argue with God. I always lose. But at that point, I'm like, what do you mean? I'm in full-time ministry. I moved my family. And I began listing all of my credentials. And God said, yeah, but when's the last time you shared Christ with your unsaved family members? Your next door neighbor, you know, the one that your kids play with, have you ever shared Jesus with them? Well, God, let me explain. (laughs) You might not know this, (laughs) but I'm really busy. I've got to do this and this. and, And what I wonder, are we so busy doing ministry we don't have time to minister? Are we rushing to the next Bible study or board meeting and driving by someone dying a spiritual death in the middle of the street? Well, let's look at the Good Samaritan story, Luke 10. In verse 25, it says, On one occasion... An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, or with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Are we too busy doing ministry? 
that we don't have time to minister. Love your neighbor. We've already talked. You're doing great things in your community. But this command of loving your neighbor, as my daughter said in a sermon, isn't a conference call. It's an individual call. This isn't about Wooster Church of the Nazarene. It's about you. It's about me. <clears throat> so let us hear today what God desires for us. So when he puts into our path those who need spiritual CPR, we can keep them going, keep them breathing, keep them alive. You know, he also, teenagers, he didn't say this is when you become an adult. Many times some of the best ministry I've seen comes from little kids. And Jesus said, go be like them. Three things I want us to do and learn from this. Father, give us eyes to see. Seeing those in our lives who are hurt, those who are broken, those who are paralyzed by the issues of life. But you know, it's really hard to see when you're doing this. You ever seen anyone walk into a wall, checking their phone? I saw, uh, I, I read a story where they have to put on those scooters, those electric scooters, you shouldn't be on your phone when you're driving one of those. They, they just need to say, I shouldn't be on one, let alone be doing my... Do we get distracted? Do we think we're connecting when we're not? Seeing is a choice we make each and every day. It's purposeful. It's constant. But seeing is actually an attitude. It's a choice I make. <clears throat> Living in the hood, my kids heard this and then periodically staff and all hear me say, situational awareness, your, hot, your head's on a swivel, You're paying attention to everything around you. Are we doing that spiritually? Are we looking for the people that Jesus wants us to see? Now, I would hope that maybe sometime you all come to Indianapolis, to Shepherd Community, and when I say this, I don't mean this. But if you pulled the carpet up in my office, please don't do that. Right under my desk, I wrote this passage, 2 Kings 6. It's the story of Elisha and the king of Aram. And king of Aram keeps trying to attack the Israelites. But every time, Elisha tells the king of Israel, hey, the king of Aram over there, he's, he's set up. He's trying to surprise you over there. Don't go that way. Finally, the king of Aram says, who's the spy among us? And he says, there's no spy, it's Elisha. He says, well, go get him. So it's, it, it says early in the morning, his servant, this is before Keurig's. So he has to make the coffee the old-fashioned way. And he's out on the fire, and he's making it. And, you know, the mist is starting to rise. 
And all of a sudden he looks and he says, wait a minute, that's an army up there. And he knows who they've come for and if he's with him, they're both in trouble and he's not excited. And he says, oh my Lord, what shall we do? And this is Elisha's prayer. Open his eyes that he may see. What's he want him to see? He who is with us is greater than he who is with them. When you're in situations that you see people and you say, there is no, when, if you'd have met Mike, there is no way you would have thought God could ever touch Mike's heart. And that's what Mike thought. Tattoo, feel my pain. That's how he lived. But Jesus died for Mike. Give us eyes to see that he who is with us is greater than he who is with them. This really starts with prayer. And think of this. What did Jesus do? Did he go to the rabbinical school to pick his disciples? No, he looked at these really rough teenagers. And he said, I see what they can become. Do we have that vision? Not to see what we are, but to see what can come. Let me tell you, I never thought Joe was going to be a police officer. I thought he could have been a customer. But God intervened. There's a lot of those resurrection stories here in your church. They're a shepherd community, but you know what? There's more to be written. I think of this. Jesus, when the world saw brokenness, Jesus sees what they can become Think of this, and I am not gifted in music, and nor could I jump that much. I just, at 58, I want to drink the coffee he drinks. Whatever it is, double shot of espresso, I don't know, I need it. But I'm not a singer. But maybe you remember a song, if you grew up in the church like I did, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Where was he? He was up in a sycamore tree. And Jesus saw him. Because Jesus was looking for him. Do we have eyes to see? Are we looking for those broken people in our lives? Or are we busy checking the latest updates? Sometimes we're looking for the wrong things. What I really fear is that maybe our busyness keeps us from seeing. Jane and I were going to speak in Florida. And this will happen quite often. I, even as I drive, I'm paying attention. And I would say, do you see that wild hog? She'd look up, no. And I see, I'm always looking and she's like, could you pay more attention to the road? And uh, but at 70 miles an hour, it's hard to see things. Jesus did ministry at three miles an hour. It's how fast you walk. Father, give us eyes to see. How can we 
begin our day with, Father, let me see the people you want me to see. Not, not the people who I target from the beginning of the week. Oh, I'm, I, no, Jesus said, did you see them? <clears throat> I, because I'm such a giving person, I gave asthma to two of our three kids. They really appreciate that. And growing up, Jane spent a lot of time at the pharmacy. Lots of medicine for me, lots of medicine for them. But Jane went in there with a vision to see people. We'd walk in and they'd run over and say, hey Jane, I want to share with you my prayer. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm the pastor. They didn't care about titles. They connected to someone who saw them. And the cancer diagnosis and the challenge with a child. All of these things <clears throat> because someone saw them. You know, it's interesting if you study the unfortunate tragedies of some of the mass shootings. One of the common statements made by mass shooters is they'll say, no one sees me. Father, give us eyes to see. The second thing, so Father, give us eyes to see, give us the courage to stop. I have no idea the excuses for those four people who drove by little Curtis. But maybe they begin making excuses. I don't know, this area, it's probably not safe to stop here. Maybe maybe they say, "I, I don't know what to do. Let me tell you, if we have the courage to stop, God shows up. Two emergency room nurses from one of the best children's hospital in the world? He's still a miracle working God. If we show up, he, by the way, he doesn't say, can I see your LinkedIn file? Let me see if I could use you. He says, give me your hands, your feet, your heart, and he'll show up. In, in Exodus 3, he says to Moses, go do this. Moses is like, ah, I don't think so. And he said, don't worry, my mighty hand will show. That's the promise. If we have <clears throat> the courage to stop, he shows up. But think of what this was likely going to cost him. Here is this Jew, and Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Hated each other. The Jews would actually walk all the way around Samaria because they didn't want to be there around Samaritans. <clears throat> this this road that we're on here, Jericho to Jerusalem, about 17 miles. Maybe if you've taken first aid training, they'll say, is the scene safe? In this situation, absolutely not. He didn't know if the people who had done this to him were there. But think of this. If, if he stopped and a Jewish man came up, what would he say? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're the one who robbed him. Like, no, I'm trying to help. 
Or, or think if a Samaritan showed up. And he says, what are you doing helping him? He wouldn't help you. I'm the youngest of three boys. Since my two parents are in heaven, I can say this. After they had me, they said, we can't get any better. My brothers would say, after me, they said, we're not doing this again. But my dad would speak, he'd say, boys, reputation is what others say about you. Integrity is who you are when no one's looking. What are we worried about? Give us the courage to stop. <clears throat> you ever been at a party and you're talking to someone, shaking their hand, and they're looking over your shoulder? At the moment you're engaging and you're seeing that person and you're talking to them, do they feel like they're the most important thing in the world? Jesus did. This isn't passive. This is active stopping. Focused on now. <clears throat> Think of this. Jesus is being rushed with a, a ruler whose daughter's dying. You know, let's go, let's go, let's hurry, hurry. We, we live ministry at 70 miles an hour. And um, a woman with an issue of blood rejected by society, she reaches out and touches him. She's healed. But what does Jesus do? He stops. Why? Because she needed more than a physical healing. This is one of the most powerful portions of the scripture. He says, who touched me as if he didn't know? And everyone backs up, oh wait, it's her. She's unclean. She could be stoned for what she's just done. And what does Jesus say to her? Daughter, you're mine. Hey everyone. You've rejected her. You've labeled her. She's with me. That's what Jesus says to us. Are we willing to stop and say to the rejected, the broken, the paralyzed, Jesus loves you. African pastor of mine, friend of mine said, Jay, sometimes we focus on the destination and miss the journey. Ministry at three miles an hour. The third, so give us eyes to see, the courage to stop, and the will to act. God shows up, folks. He's a miracle-working God, and what he he doesn't need us, but he wants to use us. He wants to use our hands and our feet and our hearts to love our neighbors. Now, my English teachers, I'm sure, are all in heaven now. They would not think I ever remembered anything. But love is a verb. Love is an action. And it's an action based on others' needs, not ours. And there's not a formula. I can't say here one plus one equals two. 
because Jesus demonstrated in many different ways, but this was always a part he connected with them. He was purposeful. Action is going. Uh, the days of uh, come and see, it is for us to go and be in your schools, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, at your job, at the sports fields, at Walgreens. Who's your neighbor? <laughs>